0: Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Park Church Podcast. My name is James Lapine. I'm your host, and we've got a really good episode for you today. As you know, uh, on this show, I talk with well-known authors, speakers, thinkers, etc., about the intersection of faith and day-to-day life. Uh, Today we're going to talk about the intersection of faith and work. We're going to talk with Bethany Jenkins. Uh, She does a lot of writing and thinking about the intersection of faith and work, especially for the Gospel Coalition and the King's College. She's based in New York City uh, and used to work on Capitol Hill and on Wall Street. Um, And she's also a member of House Ravenclaw, according to her uh, Twitter profile. Um, If you've ever found yourself putting all of your identity in work, or if you've had trouble understanding why the work you do matters at all, um, or if you just like nerding out on the theology of vocation, this episode is perfect for you. Uh, So let's get into it. Here's Bethany Jenkins. Okay, Bethany. After uh, thirty embarrassing minutes of us trying to figure out how to hear each other, uh, here we are. We're here on the show. Welcome.
1: Thank you. It's great to be here.
0: We're really uh, glad that you're a guest. And uh, for our listeners who aren't familiar with you, could you give them a, a two to three minute clip notes version of of uh,
1: your life? Sure. Uh, right now, I have. Even my friends don't understand what I do, so when people ask me what I do, it's kind of a complicated answer, um, so I'll try to be brief. But right now, I basically have two official jobs. One is I am the director of Every Square Inch at the Gospel Coalition, which is our faith and work initiative, and I do everything from writing and editing and commissioning and help other, helping other writers become better writers. Um, and which is really a lot of fun. And the other official job I have is I am the head of vocational and career development at the King's College in New York City, where I basically coach um, college students about their calling and their vocation. So I kind of say that everything I do is faith and work, but it kind of takes on different, um, the flesh is a little different in each different place that I work. Prior to this, I worked in a variety of fields as well. That's also complicated. Mm -hmm. Right after college, I moved to D.C. where I spent five years in uh, government and politics, first on Capitol Hill. And then I was a presidential appointee at the State Department. I worked for an undersecretary of state who then got a job offer at the New York Stock Exchange. And she asked me to move to New York with her. I never wanted to live in New York City Um, I thought it was a great place to visit, not to live, which is, I think, what most people think about the city. But I thought, why not? I'll try it a year. And that was 12 years ago. So (laughs) I stayed for quite some time. Um, And so I worked on Wall Street at the New York Stock Exchange for two years. I don't know much about finance. So uh, don't ask me about that because I worked (laughs) government relations and communications. Okay. So um, kind of a poser for Wall Street. But then I went to law school at Columbia Law School on the Upper West Side, kind of focused mostly on constitutional criminal law, mostly. You don't have to major in anything, but that was what I was interested in. Uh, decided law, the practice of law in New York wasn't for me. And I always thought I would work in doing something faith-based nonprofit. And so I founded a small organization called the Park Forum that wrote daily devotionals for urban professionals, and did that for about five years before Gospel Coalition recruited me to come work with them. And in between there, there was some working with Redeemer Presbyterian Church, which is my church in um, the city, and a couple other uh, freelance things that are kind of ad hoc. So
0: I can see little, why I can but. see why your friends are confused <laughs> about what you do, man.
1: Yeah, and the older you get, the harder it gets to be, you know, succinct. So (laughs) and the less well known you are. I've always made a joke that people who are really well known have the shortest bios because they don't have to you know who they are. They don't have to explain anything. And people like me who are like little people that help other people out, you know, you have to like explain this is what I do and (laughs) this is who I am and
0: Yeah. Where where are you in the city?
1: I, right now, I'm sitting in uh, one block off of Wall Street, so the King's College is just off of Wall Street, so really far downtown, and I live on the Upper West Side, so my commute's about 30 minutes on the way. Okay.
0: My sister went to the King's College. I visited there once. Oh, you're kidding. No.
1: That's so fun.
0: She she When did she graduate? uh, Let's see. 2007, she would have graduated college. Okay.
1: Okay. She she majored in... Friends of hers. Okay. Actually, yeah,
0: she was politics, philosophy, and economics, and and now she works in HR for a construction company. So
1: here in here in New York, or uh-huh. yeah. Oh, that's so fun. What's Tur- her name?
0: Turner Construction. Her name's Katie Walker. Okay. Yeah. There you go. I'm sure out of the millions of people, you probably have no idea who she is, but
1: this I is. I actually a- know people who graduated that year. Oh, really? Were in the city, yeah. Uh,
0: okay.
1: So, nice. I may. You never know.
0: (laughs) This is what we do as humans, right? We try to make connections (laughs) with each other. So I guess we're just doing it on the podcast. It's true. Um, Okay. So I feel like maybe this isn't true, but I feel like this discussion about faith and work is a relatively new thing. Um, Do you agree with that? And and how did you find yourself at the center of it?
1: Um, I'm not sure it's all that new. I mean, depending on, I think it's kind of in vogue now and that's, what's new, Okay, but, um, but you know, you have people like Luther as far back as Luther in the reformation, really, um, bringing vocation and this idea of vocational, um, formation into light. Uh, I mean, he's the one who I love when he talks about people, um, Christians being this being the masks of God. So if you think about people who, what I try to do with faith and work through the gospel coalition is to celebrate what God is doing in the scattered church. And so we have on Sundays the gathered church where we are um, expressing our worship of the Lord and um, bringing ourselves under um, his banner as a community. But then, you know, on Monday through Saturday, we're going out into the world as the scattered church. Um, And what Luther called that was he said that we're the masks of God, that God could choose like he did, like he has in history to feed us, food from the sky but instead he chooses to have us love our neighbors through our work um and so you have people who are uh you know on the fields bringing the wheat um they're probably more in places like where you are than i am but um but you can see them and uh you know eventually the food the bread gets on my shelf at the grocery store and i buy it and so that is where um I think, I mean, you know, if we're thinking about Luther, we're talking hundreds of years ago yep. Um, in terms of faith and work. So I think that in terms of the in vogue, I think you're right. It's becoming, thankfully, it's becoming something that um, I think is really becoming more important to pastors. I think one of the things in the past 20, 20 years ago, 20, 30 years ago, um, unfortunately, people started to have like marketplace ministries where business people or, you know, practitioners um, were creating kind of nonprofits to minister to their own felt needs and kind of leaving the church out of it, the local church out of it. I think what i really encouraged to see, and I do think this is what's new and really exciting, is that local churches are actually starting to kind of take, take, ex- take control and be excited about it. So, um, and I think that's where hopefully the gospel coalition were a part of, you know, we believe very much in the local church that, you know, they're on the pastors are the ones on the ground and, um, working with people's heart issues and all of these things affect how we, um, approach our work. And so that's what I'm really excited about. I think in the past, you know, 20 years or something that local churches are starting to do it like right. park church.
0: <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I love that. Um, and you, you talked about the nonprofit, is it a nonprofit you started, the Park Forum?
1: The Park Forum, yeah, yeah, it was a nonprofit. I started. I actually filled out the paperwork while I was studying for the bar. So, oh, nice. 2009.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so and it was
1: it was kind of came out of a, uh, you know, most people, a lot of vocations that people feel called to do come out of what they see as something missing, hmm. um, and so for me. Um, in high school or maybe in college, I had more time or I even had, I mean, this is kind of funny, but I even had like space to do it on a kitchen table or something. And in New York, sometimes you don't have a kitchen table. Sometimes you don't have um, the time to do it. But what you do ta- have time for is a commute and you have a cell phone. Mm-hmm. And so for, I wanted to create urban friendly daily devotionals. So I, you know, they're 400 words or less, which was half the length of a New York Times op-ed. Um, and they always include the full text of the scripture because I knew that people, our readers, didn't have necessarily access to their scripture when they're on the subway. But if it's all in an email, they could read the 400 words and then read. We pegged it to the McShane reading plan. And so people could read whatever was on the reading plan. Nice. So it came from when I was, you know, I've, there were times when I would be working 70 to 80 work weeks and um, having to prepare to go on trips for work and there it was it's hard it's hard to do that when you're um when you want to be faithful and I'm a big believer in the spiritual disciplines, so um how do you do that when you're you know you're running around everywhere right so
0: so you uh yeah you did what all good entrepreneurs do and you scratched your own edge created something yeah. for yourself yeah Exactly, And I love this. We can hear sounds of New York in the background as we're talking. I was going
1: to say, <laughs> case, I didn't know if you could hear it, but I was going to say, and you can hear the sounds of, you know, ambulance and fire trucks yeah. and that's the city. So yeah. yeah. Full,
0: I mean, full disclosure, Sorry. I'm, I'm sitting in my office in in Denver. I'm not in some fancy studio. You're not in some fancy studio. We're just talking. So that's fine. Um, okay. I, I think, um, whenever you look at faith and work, maybe you see two pits that people fall into uh, and you can tell me if, if, if you feel like this is true or not. Uh, but there's, there's maybe one pit of, I feel like there's no connection between my faith and my work. Um, and so people just feel like those are just completely divorced from each other. I have my faith life and then I have my work life and, and they don't have anything to do with each other. Or, um, they think that the only value of faith in their work is, uh, evangelism. That might be another pit, or actually maybe another pit is uh, like my work and my faith are so inextricably linked that if I'm not doing well in work, I'm not doing well in faith. Um, do you, are those real? Uh, could you talk to those at all?
1: Yeah, I think that with the faith and work, first one first. So there's no between faith and work. I think one of the... it one of the things I like, one of the ways that I like to approach the integration of faith and work is kind of three levels. So the first level would be heart motivations. The second level would be community or relationships. And then the third would be world or work itself. So what the first is basically my relationship with God, my relationship with others, and my relationship with work itself. And so I think that the first two are what we're actually doing all the time. So my heart motivations, questions um, that surround issues like idle, like I work too much or why, what are the motivations for which I am approaching my work? What are my motivations for which I'm doing particular things at work? Mm. Is my heart, is my heart as um, wants to glorify God and not myself. And I think we think a lot about those that particular part motivations within other contexts. Um, And so really what faith and work for that integration, it's kind of bringing it back to that one basic. Um, And you can think of different, different doctrines that actually make a difference there. I think one of my favorite doctrines um, that I think about heart motivations with is this idea of adoption. And so if we as Christians, one of the most beautiful pictures of our, um, our status as human beings is that we're adopted children of God. And, um, I actually have a nephew who was adopted from Vietnam and he, when we first got him, um, he, he held two pieces of food, one in each hand, wherever he went, because even though he was legally adopted, he didn't experience, he didn't know where his next food would come from when he was Mm. in the orphanage. And so he would keep you know, food in his hands. Mm. But when but the, the deeper that reality set in, that it wasn't just a legal change, but an actually a social change, that we would care for him, that my brother would always provide food for him, that he didn't need to fear or hold on to things, the the more he let things go. And I think similarly with adoption, we can believe this thing in our heart, motivate like it can change our motivations, but we can functionally live as orphans. But when we become, the more we accept knowing that we're children of God, the less the, the more our motivations are redeemed and the less we feel like we need to hold on to things. So I can see my colleague get promoted when I don't without envy if I know that my God is not a God who has had limited resources. Hmm. So I think that those types of heart motivations, I think we're, we talk about them. We rarely talk about them within the work context. Hmm. Um and then the relationships, the same thing. So I think we talk a lot about our relationships with our spouses or our friends or our children. And those are all like family or church relationships. But I the same principles apply to colleagues or vendors or clients or bosses. Um, you know, like it's the same types of ideas. We just need to think about how the gospel, like every time I'm thinking about how is the gospel shaping my relationship with my friend or accountability partner or whatever the person is you want to think that you've already thought about. Be like, Oh, well actually that should shape my relationship with the person I work with closely too. And so what is, you know, what are issues we have there? I think the hardest part is this third piece. So if we've talked about, you know, my relationship with God, my motivation, my relationship with others, um, my relationship with the work itself. That's the more complicated one that I think people have trouble understanding. Like, what does it mean to be a Christian physician? Mm-hmm. What does it mean to be a Christian lawyer? And so, God doesn't just care about lawyers, He cares about law too. Mm-hmm. So, He cares about just laws. Um, What does it mean to be a person who's in a world, in a working world, that doesn't sometimes care about just laws? Hmm. What does it mean to be a doctor in a world that slices up people into different parts of their bodies, instead of looking at them as a whole person? And I think those are really complicated questions. And I often encourage people to get with other like-minded believers in particular, in their particular fields, with a pastor or with a with a person who is in, um, who's working in a faith-based nonprofit, a theologian type person to help them tease out these harder questions. Um, they're really complicated. So I don't presume to have answers. A lot of times I can ask good questions, but <laughs> I have a, I mean, I have a friend as an example. Uh, I'm not going to say her name obviously, but she works, um, in a city, in a, in a city of, big city and she is a pediatric endocrinologist and she thought when she got into that field that she would be mainly having children with diabetes that would be her main um, patients but now she's facing children who are identifying as transgender and her what does it mean to prescribe um you know hormone suppressant drugs that can prevent Um, children from going to puberty? What does it mean to even diagnose someone as transgender? Does that give them identity there? Hmm. Um, These are complicated questions that I think um, that, you know, we need to have conversations about. And I don't presume to uh, know what it means to be in the world and not of it with these questions. So. Right. Right. um,
0: But you are helping people think about how their faith might impact the decisions that they make at their job
1: right and yeah. they 're helping me i 'm helping them ask the right questions, I think, and they 're helping me to understand the complicated nuance of it if that makes sense. <laughs> right I, I think peop- I think sometimes people think, oh well you can 't do that, you should quit but if <laughs> if you know if, if we do if that if that's always our response right. then we're, le- we're we're actually quitting the witness yep. and of the um, Christian witness, and so how do we navigate um those relationships. So it's, it's hard. It's, these are hard
0: questions. (laughs) (laughs) I think a lot of times we want the world to be black and white, right? But it's, it's so gray. We were talking this morning about uh, the tension between, um, completely disengaging from culture, like you're talking about here or, uh, syncretism just completely aligning with everything that's happening in your particular context. Mm -hmm. Um, and so figuring out that balance, like you're saying, is a, it's a tough thing to do. It's a nuanced thing to do. Um, okay, let's let's switch gears a little bit. If you're up for this, my my friend Neil, who connected us, yes. told me that you're a really good storyteller. Um, oh, <laughs> and he mentioned something about uh, something that that you talk about how different vocations and different people within those vocations represent different aspects of God's character. You know what I'm talking about there? Yeah. Do, do, could you yeah. give us that spiel? Do you feel up for it?
1: yeah I mean it's basically I kind of already did it in terms of the adoption. I okay. think that's what he's referring to okay and so um this isn't a promo i this isn't a promo I get paid nothing for this, but um, basically, <laughs> basically um David Kim, who's this head of the Center for Faith and work at Redeemer, he and I worked on a faith and work Bible that's coming out next um in October and october two thousand and sixteen and um it has 75 stories and i'm the storytelling editor on it and it also has 45 different doctrines and so each story is told through the lens of a doctrine and a particular passage actually Hmm. and how that particular passage affects um or that doctrine affects someone has as they get up and go to work daily Mm -hmm. um and so there are stories from uh a One of the stories we tell about the adoption doctrine is a friend of mine who um, used to be, is no longer, but used to be a public school teacher in New York City and very smart, very competent. um, And he tells the story of when he was on his first day of his summer sabbatical. And, uh, you know, it's meant to be a day of freedom. And he's able to, that's the reason why, one of the reasons he became a teacher is he has a wonderful summer break. And he was sitting at Starbucks doing his, you know, New York Times crossword puzzle. And he says he was rattled by a line of men in suits. And, uh, he just basically tells the story about how sitting there that day, he started questioning, why am I being a teacher when all these other people are making so much more money? They're going to more important things. They're, um, Experiencing the world of New York City. I could be a teacher anywhere and make better, you know, afford more things, have lower cost of living. And the reality of when he's, you know, he contrasted that morning sitting in a coffee shop with, you know, going into the classroom itself. And when the door is closed and it's just him and the kids, he really experiences like what Eric Liddell would say, like the love of the Father. Hmm. And so, how, how, when Christ is the only, approval that we need how much more free we are to make choices especially vocational choices mm. um in light in light with that so those are some of the stories there are so many stories that i mean i'm i i don't know if you can tell when i'm smiling on a podcast <laughs> but i'm smiling because so many of the stories that people shared were vulnerable and honest and hard and you know there's a story of one of the doctrines of glory. Um, I wanted to, when we were picking out, when we were picking out angles of different stories, glory is so big, you know, God is so big and glorious and great, but I actually wanted a surprising twist to it. So instead of getting a CEO or a high level person who you might think like, oh, that's glory, that's kingly, you know, um, I actually chose for that story, a woman whose child has, Um, an eating disorder and can't keep food down so here's this woman this who has her full-time job as a stay-at-home mom and um, her daughter has an eating disorder and so she's cleaning up vomit multiple times a day measuring it and it looks anything but glorious anything but glorious and yet um, her story is so beautiful in it because the story we tell is that you know there's there, When you realize that glory in, in Christ actually isn't this far off person who's in a corner office, he actually became flesh mm. and he submitted his body to maybe not vomiting and measuring it, but being spit upon. I mean, here's the king of glory who takes on this, you know, what Yates might call this tattered coat upon a stick, like this like fleshly mm. thing mm. And he's spit upon and so what that looks like and so i wanted that contrast between you know our cultural definition of glory and what our assumptions might be but really the beauty that all of our work can be glorious if we look at it through the lens of particularly ephesians and philippians 2 Mm. um and taking on flesh so there are lots of stories like that again it's not a promo (laughs) but um
0: (laughs) But I but want the Bible now.
1: 75 more. Yeah. There's yeah. 75
0: more. <laughs> you have definitely piqued my interest. I was, uh, I was reading Paul, David trip this morning, talking about John 13, when we see Jesus, uh, washes disciples feet right before, uh, he's about to be murdered. And all of these guys are either going to run away or deny him. Um, and what does he do? I mean, he gets out, <laughs> uh-huh. he, he gets out and washes their feet. Um, so that, that is a good picture of glory. I love that. Um, if I know this isn't a promo, but if you've piqued people's interest if they want to know how they can get the Bible, where should they
1: go to figure that out? They can That's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going while we're on here, I'm going to go on amazon.com and I bet you it's published by Zondervan. Okay. Um so my guess is it's probably available on Zondervan. Okay. Um but my guess is also that it is available on um Amazon. Tim Keller wrote the foreword. Which it's kind of funny that, um, you know, there's a foreword for the Bible. But yes, he did write it. He wrote the foreword. If anybody's um, going to write
0: the foreword, I mean, come on. That's right. Right.
1: That's right. It is on Amazon. So okay. it's an IV Faith and, Faith and Work Bible hardcover, um, David Kim editor. So.
0: And it's available yeah. for pre order now.
1: It is. Yep. Okay. Yep, great.
0: And for our listeners, you can always go to parkchurchdenver.org uh, slash podcast. Uh, and then click on Bethany's name when you get there, and we will link to to all these resources there, uh, so you can easily find them if you're interested. Um, okay, great. That was like the like the least <laughs> promo Yeah, it's good timing. Um, okay, I wanna I wanna switch gears a little bit again. Uh, if you're up for talking about this, I, I feel like, um, and and maybe it's just more invoke, like you said. Maybe it's not actually all that new. Maybe it's just that it's invoked, But I feel like we're seeing an increased. Uh, dialogue about women and work. Uh, there are books out like lean in and girl boss that are really popular, really striking a chord. Uh, and there seems to just be an increased interest in women starting companies, taking on leadership roles, et cetera. Um, why do you think this is, what do you think is helpful about it? What potential dangers do you see in it? Um, could you talk about that a little bit?
1: I'm happy to, um, I struggle with this myself. One of the things I've tried to do in my own personal work, um is i try to focus on the work itself and less on who's doing the work hmm. so especially as a new yorker um if i were to tell someone that there's a debate on whether women can work i mean i we, i'd actually had dinner with a friend last night or last week she's an investment banker uh an mba and she i said oh you know i've i've i read this thing recently and the argument was women can work outside the home and she rolled her eyes. (laughs) So there's a certain sense in New York that we're a little bit unique in terms of other places, but even my, I grew up with a stay at home mom. Mm -hmm. Um, I have one of my sisters in law works full time. The other one is a stay at home mom, um, and does some substitute teaching. I'm not married. Um, so for me, it's, I think the real crutch of the issue for a lot of women is, um, the the idea of having children and that just makes it complicated. Mm -hmm. Um, but in terms of, and to be honest, I feel a little ill equipped just because that's not my story and it's not my experience, even though I have friends who, um, have definitely done it and we've talked about it and we've had conversations really comes down to a lot of it. Each family is different. The needs are different. Um, what is, what, what resources are available is different. Um, but in terms of the theological calling, I, I think women like, like men can do anything out in the world, um, and be contributing members to the public space. Um, you asked one question you asked was what are the, you said, what are the complications with it? Is Mm -hmm. that right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think one of the hard, I am a. I'm a trained. I'm a trained lawyer, so I think about the. I think of, like as a lawyer would in a lot of ways. And yeah. one of the things, as a one of the things a lawyer always looks at is reasoning, not conclusion. And so, one of the things I see pretty often in the reasoning for women is this idea that women are just as good as men. Women can do this, or women. I even read recently somebody making it was a resource that's about women and work, and the comment was, um, "Women don't or men men can't make babies after all. Women that's what women can do. And I thought in my head, well, I women can't do that without men either. You know? Like <laughs> So I think there's this I think that the reasoning to the extent that it's pitting women women against men is actually really faulty. Hmm. And so when in you know in the garden that in the Garden of Eden we were given a co mandate and we were made as helpers and co creators. And you don't have a co creator Like you don't have a creator and a co-creator, you have two co-creators, and so you have this unity of men and women who are working together and work like Ezer, which is the word for helper in Genesis for women. It's used elsewhere in the Bible to describe the Lord. So it's clear the Lord is my helper, the Mm -hmm. Lord is my Ezer, and that's the same thing that's used for women. So there's a sense that there's very strong role that women can have in accomplishing and fulfilling the um, creation mandate Mm. but i think the biggest fear i have is that when when we start focusing on women to the exclusion of focusing on a unified um a unified perspective so that's kind of and i see that fairly frequently i see a lot of women hearing the message of be brave have courage and um it feels pretty therapeutic to me Mm. and it feels um it feels a little bit um uh competitive mm-hmm. with men mm-hmm. and i i don't I, I i shy away from that language mm. to all extent as i can, that i can
0: yeah so. that, that that's helpful i maybe there's I, for some reason mad men popped into my head um, <laughs> and we see the treatment of women in that office and i think that's probably pretty representative right of the 50s, 60s, maybe 70s. And then we see like the strong women characters and Peggy and Joan. Um, And I I guess I'm just processing out loud. Like maybe Mm -hmm. this is some of this is a reaction to whenever someone's treated really, really poorly, (laughs) there's a reaction of like, no, I'm going to get mine or I'm going to like stand up for myself or I'm going to, this can't continue. And I think we would all agree with that or maybe we wouldn't all, but I would hope that we would. Um, right. but, but then what can, can happen is this shift to the other extreme of life. Right. I'm pitting myself against men. Now, like you said, when the goal maybe should be, how can we be unified co-creators, people who are working together towards the same creation mandate, et cetera. Is that that's- okay?
1: Yeah, I think that's right. I see it too, particularly with women who, um, who grew up in circumstances. I didn't grow up in a circumstance where I was ever told I couldn't do anything. And I actually wasn't told you can do anything either. It wasn't my dad, my parents were never, you can do anything you want, but they also weren't, you can't do anything. It was just under, I had two brothers. Um, we had a batting cage in our backyard. The one thing I wanted was a pool. So my brother (laughs) went out on that. Um, so he was definitely preference for that. But my parents said it was because a batting cage was cheaper than a pool so, and since we lived in Florida, we could go to the beach anytime. So I let that go. <laughs> but, and my brother was all state baseball for the state of Florida. So he was a pretty incredible athlete. Um, but I say that to say my, I grew up in a church that my parents, my dad is a lawyer as well. Um, and my, my parent, I grew up with very a healthy relationship with um both my parents, my family, um, as well as a healthy appreciation for the church that I went to. Hmm. So my um, when my my parents, my dad in particular, he was a deacon at our church, and he disagreed with some of the the things that the church did, and we would talk about that as a family. So there was no um, he we didn't gossip about it outside of our family, but there was no sense that I needed to rebel against anything. Yeah, if that makes any sense, because yeah. Because my dad, my dad displayed and modeled a very healthy way to disagree, but also support the local church. So mm-hmm. he was a deacon; he was supportive, but he worked within the organization to change things, right. versus stepping outside and criticizing. So they- I love working at the Gospel Coalition and the King's College, and um, there are some things I'd love to see changed in certain things. You know, not anything major, but slight things. Mm-hmm. And so I, but instead of Working as an outsider, I've found that I can get so much more done um, as an insider yeah. and um, as a partner with our team. Who I, I love our team; they're brilliant. And but I'm anyone who knows me, <laughs> James knows that I'm not a wallflower and I'm not a person who isn't um, doesn't share my opinions. <laughs> so. <laughs> I'll go to, you know, I'll go to the women's conference and I'll come back and I'll say this, 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 (laughs) Um, but I try to be strategic about it instead of, um, and focus on the things that I think really are, um, big, big issues I think we could change. Um, so, and I, and I love being a part of that. Um, so yeah. A lot of friends will contact me afterwards and say, are you saying this? Are you saying this? So they know that they can come to me and talk about these things. And <laughs> I love to listen. So, Right.
0: right, Okay. Yeah. We just had our, uh, our first uh, child six months ago, a daughter.
1: Oh, congratulations. Thank
0: you. And um, I feel like as I'm figuring out how to be a dad, I'm, I'm figuring out how to like not do things that would make my daughter want to react in the opposite way. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I just want to be balanced. I want to be fair. I want to be charitable. um, And hopefully she won't spend a good portion of her life re- reacting to the ways that I was extreme. Um, right. So, yeah, man, that's, yeah. that's re- I think
1: having good dialogue is really key. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah, totally. Um, let me ask you this. What are, and I know you're not trying to sell anything, but, but what are the best resources <laughs> that you know about, uh, faith in work, um, I I guess anything that we've talked about so far, where would you point people to books, articles, anything?
1: Yeah, that's great. So I would I would actually start with that same framework, heart community world and say, okay, I clearly have heart issues um, that I need to work on that are going to affect everything, including work and then the relationships and then the work itself. And so when I would for heart issues, um, if you're a mature believer, I would get a friend and I would, I honestly know of, I'm a very old school Puritan person. So I would go to something like the mortification of sin. That's a big, heavy book. It's a, it's a thin book actually, but it's so rich in content that if you're a mature believer, I would, I would, or a mature meaning you've been a believer for a long time. Um, and you can handle something like this. It's, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it to somebody who's still trying to you know kind of get their legs under christianity um but i have found mortification of sin to be really helpful in terms of what does it mean to kill sin every day Hmm. it is a lifelong every single day process and it doesn't let up and sin is serious um and so it's kind of heavy sorry (laughs) (laughs) that's good Old time Puritan, that's what you're going to get. So I clearly make no money on that,
0: right?
1: <laughs> like he's long dead. <laughs> and,
0: and full disclosure for our audience, I started that book and probably read 10% of it. Like, it's serious business. So,
1: it's serious business. Yeah. So, okay. so um, what's the
0: light version of that?
1: <laughs> yeah. The light version, there was actually a modernized version of that. Okay. I can't, like, uh, I can't remember what it's called, but you said this might be on the resource um, page at some point. Yeah. So, um, but any any book that actually gets at that idols or heart issues, I think would be a fine place to start. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I, like one idol might the uh, I mean I'm going to recommend a lot of Keller probably because he's my pastor, but counterfeit gods is another good one yep. that you could start where it just really talks about how the story of the story of Christianity and the story of the hu- is of actually not Christianity just humanity. The story of humanity is us trying to replace God every time we can.
0: You
1: know, so like you have that story you want they, Israel wanted kings not God. They wanted prophets not God. They wanted you know like every single time and we have the same things now. Um, and so what you know what are we doing there? And then I would say for community um, there's a I mean, life together by Bonhoeffer is really great. That's a great way to say, what does it mean to live in community? There's another one by a woman named Christine Pohl. I think it's called living in community. It's also a really good one. Um, so those two, I'd probably say, and then the last one, I would probably say the best place to start would be Tim Keller's every good endeavor. So it's, it's got stories. It comes from his wisdom. It's, it's, it's actually co-written with Katherine Larry Alsdorf, who is, um, she's a hero of mine in terms of women working in the faith and work world. Um, and it's just a great book altogether. Tom Nelson also has a book called Work Matters um, that's published. It was published earlier than Tim's book. Um, and then Amy Sherman has a fantastic book, too, called um, Kingdom Calling. And it's great, um, too. Steve Garber, if you like stories, Steve Garber's Visions of Vocation has lots of stories too, and he's a great thinker and he's a very poetical writer too. So he's a um, he's a delight to write to read just for the way he writes. But okay. I could go on and I could probably <laughs> more. So I'm seeing why. I'll you, stop with those.
0: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I feel like I was talking to Neil for a second. I see why you guys are friends. He's been talking about those books nonstop. Yeah. Um,
1: and see, we didn't plan that. I didn't know that.
0: <laughs> no, yeah, I know. No, it's great. Um, okay, let's do this. Let's wrap up our time with, with a few rapid-fire questions.
1: Okay. Okay. Uh,
0: favorite TV show, movie, and or book that you've read most recently?
1: Oh, you thought that would be rapid, and I'm like, oh, what is my favorite book? Um, <laughs> I just, okay, just,
0: first thing that comes just, to mind.
1: Okay, well, my favorite book's always going to be Harry Potter. I read it multiple times. I run marathons, and so when I train, I do Audible, and I love Harry Potter. Okay. So I'll just say that. And there I saw, can be lots of other books, but I love Harry Potter. Sure,
0: and <laughs> and you're a member of House Ravenclaw, according to your Twitter profile. I am. Yeah. I am. Yeah, yeah. Good. <laughs> okay. TV show or movie you've seen recently that you're like, you have to see this?
1: I saw um, I saw on Amazon – uh, because it was the Olympics, I wanted to watch. It was it's called Race, and it's about Jesse Owens. Okay. So it's the double entendre of race for his running, but also race for his um, racial identity. Oh right! Fantastic, fantastic movie um, about that ta- about that Olympics. Okay. So because it was the Olympics, I wanted to watch it, and it was on Amazon. So nice. You know, any time. but yeah. it was good. Okay, good. TV uh, show. Yeah. Um, Gosh, what TV show can I say that I wouldn't be embarrassed by? Cuz that's <laughs> probably the honest question in there. Um this is probably really cheesy. Oh, you know what? I love Shark Tank. I do. That's I watch not it. not cheesy?
0: I love Shark Tank.
1: I was going to say I like Blue Bloods too. It's pretty cheesy, <laughs> but um, I really it's like an old person movie, I think. Maybe I'm revealing <laughs> like that I'm not a millennial, but um, I really do love Shark Tank. I watch it on Saturdays with breakfast. So yeah. every it comes on Fridays, and I watch it blue on Saturday. I love it. I learn a lot.
0: <laughs> My mother-in-law watches Blue Bloods.
1: See, this is what I mean. I'm like, I'm, I'm like, they sit around and they have prayer every every episode. They don't. There's no. There's no illicit affairs in it. I'm, right. There's the language is good. I mean, you may as well give me a, I may as well become a card-carrying like like old you know whatever that's called when you're tiring. so yeah
0: okay well i was gonna ask you what what the nerdiest thing that you're into right now is but i think we're we're good that's a good point we can just move on okay um this is a big one but just help our you know it's it's september 13th today that we're talking um in less than two months we're gonna be voting probably most of us will be how would you help our people think about the upcoming election?
1: That's a great question. Um, I think one thing that's important to remember, you know, i worked on Capitol Hill for four years and I worked at the pleasure of the President um, Bush for in the State Department. So for five years I worked in politics. Hmm. I think it's really important to remember that it doesn't matter who you think your favorite politician was in the past, even if you're not happy with the choices now. Um, they were just humans too. Like every every politi- politician is flawed. Um, I know lots of things about the people I worked for that they would never want to see the light of day. And mm. if they were me, I wouldn't want them to see the light of day. Yeah. So no matter, even if it's your quote unquote favorite one who you think is perfect, they're not perfect either. And I think it's a little too much to put on um, politicians. Um, like I said, we're always thinking about Wanting to replace God in our lives, and so we're looking for a savior. But I think probably this year, more than any other year, my old boss used to say, "All politics local." And That's a phrase. And I think this year, more than any other year, we need to be people who look at politics as local. It's very easy to blame Washington for the problem. There are problems in Washington but we can do a lot as average citizens. So if we have a lot of different hats we wear. We can be, you know, right now I'm sitting, I'm a college administrator or I'm an editor, but, and I, or I'm a church member. I'm also a citizen. I'm a citizen of my city. I'm a neighborhood person in my community board. And so how can I think about being a local resident and actually loving my neighbor on a very local level? And so I think to know, I mean, it, November 8th is not just the white house on the line and it's not just Congress and the Senate on the line. It's also judges in your neighborhood. It's also um, people who are making school board decisions. Um, It's, you know, it's the very local things that I think when we get this national platform, we tend to forget about caring about or really researching very well. Mm. And so I would say this year, more than any other year, fine don't be happy with either choice but don't forget that there are lots of different avenues of government that matter and they actually matter a lot to your neighbors and so i would actually say that would probably be the best thing to think about right now
0: yeah yeah that's really helpful yeah i appreciate that okay there you go listeners do your <laughs> do your homework on uh, on the local options and study up on on uh, the issues so that you are prepared to vote not only nationally but but locally uh, that's great. Okay, cool. And, and the book that is coming out next month is called the storybook Bible and you can find it on Zondervan or you can find it on Amazon. It's available for pre-order. And, uh, if you enjoyed the stories that you heard today, you'll definitely want to uh, pick that up. Um, Bethany, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it.
1: Thank you for having me. Yeah. It we'll was talk, so fun. Talk to you soon. Okay.
0: okay bye. Bye. Okay, I hope you enjoyed the interview with Bethany Jenkins. I know I did. Uh, We mentioned a bunch of resources on this episode, and you can find those in the show notes if you go to parkchurchdenver.org slash podcast and then click on Bethany Jenkins' name. That'll take you to the show page where you can find all those resources we mentioned. Uh, two things I'd ask of you as we close. Number one, subscribe so that you don't miss out when we post the next show. And number two, while you're there subscribing, rate and review us on iTunes. Give us a five-star rating and say something nice about the show. That'll just help other people uh, find the show. So if you like it and you want other people to find it, that's the easiest way to, to help with that. Um, I'd love to hear what you guys thought about this week's episode. You can always drop me a line at james at org with any thoughts that you might have. That'll do it. We'll see you next time. Thanks so much.